welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast, and thank you for tuning in today. We are excited to kick off a new series all about mule deer hunting. And in this first episode, it's kind of an intro to the series. We talk about mule deer hunting from a high level, Steve and I do, why you might consider mule deer hunting, some of the differences between elk hunting and mule deer hunting, and then really discuss where we're going moving forward in this series with the episodes that we have to come. Before we get into that, I want to thank Utah Farm Boy for leaving us a review in iTunes. We want to send you some Exo Mountain Gear and Hunt Backcountry podcast swag, so send us your shipping address to podcast at exomountaingear.com. Listeners, if you're interested in entering these giveaways, it's real simple. We just want to hear from you. So you can leave us a review in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can also contact us directly to leave us your feedback ask us a question, or make a suggestion for a future episode. Again, you can email us directly to podcast at exomountgear.com. All right, that's a quick intro. Let's dive deep into this introduction on a new mule deer hunting podcast series. And again, thank you for tuning in. Steve, um, kicking off a a mule deer series here on the podcast, man. Excited to dive deep into this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Me too, man. Um, this, uh, I haven't really got after mule deer for a couple years. Uh, been focused on other, other things or, you know, super fortunate to go up to Alaska and hunt caribou or something kind of in September. So time was, uh, that early archery time was, uh, you know, just didn't have it. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely something that's back on my radar this year. Didn't, didn't draw a tag for Wyoming elk that I thought I was going to draw. I think I'm going to do a later Idaho, uh, elk hunt, like rifle in October. So, um, yeah, I was like, all right, I'm going to dedicate first 15 days of September to, to chasing big bucks with a bow in the high country. And so it was kind of super relevant to me to dive back into this topic. Yeah, that's cool. I, uh, you know, being a non-resident from Western states, I've always focused on September on elk. And uh, yeah, so it's new to me and I've always had a lot of questions and interests, but it's always been hard to find the time to do both. Or as you mentioned, like last year, um, we're you're just fortunate to take other trips and do other things. So this is something, you know, we've, we've talked about mule deer plenty on the podcast, um, you know, going back over the years at this point, but it, I'm really excited to kind of take a more A to Z approach and both help beginners kind of look at things from a super high level. Um, but then at the same time in this series, you know, we're going to kind of segment out different topics or stages of mule deer hunting um, and then kind of dive deep into those as well. So I think there's something in here for everybody, something like you said for yourself, you, you have experienced Steve hunting mule deer and it, to me, it's like this joke when I think of you and your mule deer experience because uh, you've killed plenty of bucks, but you always do it so quick. I almost want to give you trouble for actually not having that much experience hunting mule deer because you just, <laughs> just like, oh, yeah, I'm a, you know, fill my tag opening day and I'm done. I'm like, what kind of that's uh, you have zero experience, Steve. Just be honest. Like yeah, you only zero. hunt two days a year. You just kill uh, a deer I'm in those super two days. fortunate to be around some really great mule deer hunters and learn from them. And, and then yeah, I, I did have a lucky streak there for a few years. That's for sure. So. So I guess let's go back in time and I'm not, you know, this isn't uh, an episode about Steve Speck, but I want to relate your story to kind of understanding maybe transitions or, you know, what we really want to dive into in this kind of intro a little bit is kind of highlighting some of the differences 
on say high country mule deer and we'll somewhat keep it um mostly focused uh at least currently on like september opportunities mostly archer opportunities but in the series we're gonna talk beyond that for sure but i guess you know from your perspective steve did you um did mule deer get taken more seriously later after elk did they kind of happen at the same time you know because where i want to get to is understanding your history on that and then just kind of talking about the differences of hunting elk in september and hunting mule deer in september and highlighting some of the things that someone like myself who's hunted elk needs to understand in terms of differences or different focuses uh things to learn for yeah. mule deer yeah no mule deer definitely came later it was always mule deer was secondary elk was you know the primary animal to chase with a bow obviously you're um in most western states you're competing at the same time with you know archery elk season and archery deer season so uh, there are a few states like nevada comes to mind that's going to open up in uh, middle of august and you get to chase deer around uh, uh up until you know uh, september 1st and then but as the general rule it's like september 1st you could be chasing elk with a bow or you can be chasing deer with a bow and it's a very very hard uh, decision for a lot of people to make, you know, and, and I think 90% of guys go towards elk cause you, you've only got that one month chunk to get it done. Um, so yeah, for the first probably, you know, 10 years of, of bow hunting, um, I could care less about mule deer. We just did some late season stuff options that we have around, uh, the Boise area. So, oh, for mule deer. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, really it's probably, can blame jason my buddy uh he was such a mule deer nut that finally kind of convinced me to try it and uh it was definitely elk hunting comes natural to me right like kind of add you can just be hiking and moving and and be successful as long as you're smart and working hard mule deer to me was a a whole nother like step up in learning how to hunt um you know it takes extreme patience uh, you you basically need to dedicate, uh, in my opinion, at least here in Idaho, where you know it's not like uh, I've got I've been fortunate to hunt like Wyoming Region G, where you go in there and and there's like in the morning you're looking at ten to twenty bucks in a pace, and you know Idaho you might have a couple, uh, so your opportunity is just much smaller. So you really have to dedicate an entire day to killing an animal, and if you you know mess that opportunity up. Uh, you've just lost an entire day. And when you're looking at, you know, a three or four day weekend, it's, it's pretty tough to do that. Like you're, you're very tempted to try a stock really quickly, um, and basically plan on pre-plan on it failing, uh, so that you have more time that later that day to find another buck and get another stock in. Um, but you kind of had to learn like, okay, this is my buck. This is my one opportunity for the day. The, the rest of the day is focused on that, this animal. And that's something that, um, I definitely had to work on a skill set I had to develop to to have that kind of patience to sit and literally just see an animal, you know, 800 yards away, uh, and wait hours, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's super common to glass a buck at first light. So, you know, seven in the morning, um, and then they may go bed in a bad spot and you, you kind of learn that you got to wait for them to get to their afternoon bed and you need the afternoon thermals to kick up. So you glass this buck from seven to one, two o'clock in the afternoon before they finally get to a bedding spot that you can stalk them. And then the really hard one is when a bed, a buck beds in a spot that is like so, so questionable stock. And do you 
just completely just watch it um, and and wait till the next day for a better opportunity. Uh, and that kind of that decision to me is probably just based off of the size of the antlers, right? That's a really really nice buck. I, I'd probably like be super super cautious and maybe wait another day, uh, wait for them to bed in a better spot, or if it's a smaller buck, that'd be like I'd be jacked to kill, but also not like completely heartbroken if you blew up the stock uh, then maybe you can't take a risk on it so um but yeah it's just a fun uh i think i've said it before probably in early episodes of the podcast mule deer, mule deer hunting early season mule deer hunting to me with a bow is like chess uh it's a it's a game of patience and strategy elk hunting you can just throw a bugle on your pack and a, have a bow on your hand and just run around the woods and eventually you're going to create some opportunities for yourself that just flat out isn't going to happen when you're chasing bucks. Yeah. The, when I was thinking about the two, even as you were describing that, like to me, and even just think about the skills, the, like the word refined just kept coming to mind where you need to mm-hmm. be a much more like refined hunter um, and have much more refined skills to be a successful mule deer hunter, especially in these earlier archery seasons versus like you said, with elk, you can, you can kind of be ADD, you can run around, you can stumble into stuff, you know, it's, it's just a different, it's a totally different kind of mindset and approach. And, you know, you think of, not to say that patience doesn't come into play with elk hunting, it certainly can, but it's next to level patience um, in terms of hunting mule deer. And then you look at, you know, just stalking, even shot opportunities at times being potentially longer, more open country, uh, dealing sometimes with, you know, much more difficult weather. Like there's all these in my mind kind of next level uh challenges and as a hunter skill refinement um that needs to be made to be really successful in terms of mule deer um again yeah, over generalization but i think it's uh it's fair it very much is it's um as a general rule you're hunting steeper country rockier country it's more difficult to access uh, more difficult to move around the shots are going to be steeper. The shots are going to be longer. You have a smaller target that you're shooting at. Uh, I mean, that's definitely something that like plays into my mind of, um, you know, like practicing with a bow. Like I'm, you know, been shooting for quite a few years now. I could probably just pick up my bow two weeks before September and and know that an elk's going to walk within twenty to forty yards, and I really don't need to practice a whole lot for that, right? Like you just kind of get up to back up to speed pretty quick but if you really want to get dialed in if you want to be shooting extremely well grouping out to 60 70 yards that's going to take a lot of practice and effort um and and you got you know a target that's a third the size of an elk so you've got a lot less margin for error uh and again steeper shots probably dealing with more wind uh just yeah everything about it's more technical um and then yeah just your stocking uh it's just yeah everything's raised up a level so um, mm-hmm. And it's a fun, it's really a great, what I, what I like about mule deer hunting too, is it's a great solo, um, sport, <laughs> right? Like mm-hmm. it's a really, it fits well into going out there by yourself cause it's a smaller animal. You absolutely can debone that thing, um, pack it out in one trip. It's going to be heavy, but if you're, if you're somewhat lightweight with your base gear and, and you got a, you know, uh, so boned out meat and a head, you're probably going to be like a hundred and. 20 pounds coming out of there which is heavy but doable yeah um so yeah it's just all around it's it's fun um but it's also so much fun to chase chase elk with a bow and be with your buddies and uh have big screaming bulls coming you know 10 yards away from your face so 
uh, it's a tough decision at the same time. I, um, you know, I would definitely, if I had a, lived in a state that had the early August hunts where you could, you know, August 15th through the 30th chase deer and then September fully transition to elk, that'd probably be the ideal situation. Yeah. I just wish September was like three months long, you know, you just basically had that time <laughs> right. of like animal behavior. Um, and then think of like the elk rut and extended it and have plenty of opportunities for both. I mean, it's, uh, it's really easy to see why elk hunting is more popular and that's not to say it's better. Uh, of course there's going to be guys on either side of this camp that are very strongly, I'm a deer guy, I'm an elk guy, but you know, think of limited time, a more difficult pursuit, uh, fewer opportunities. Cause you're like, you said Steve earlier, like maybe a stock a day two if you're completely lucky versus you could get into six elk potentially in a day. So there's limited opportunities. I think scouting can be more critical, you know, more time preseason spent on mule deer is going to help you be successful for sure. And then just even looking at the fact that take all the difficulty and all that away for a lot of guys with limited time, limited opportunity and elk's going to put way more meat in the freezer. Like it's easy to see why more and more and more more guys are elk hunting than mule deer hunting, not only because it's, uh, you have better odds, but you know, you're going to get more in the freezer after that. And it, it doesn't, not to say that elk hunting is easy by any means, cause I'm on the struggle bus like everybody else, but it, it doesn't take as much, you know, of a, I think a commitment to be as consistently successful as it would for mule deer. Um, so there's just, there's these certain things that are quote unquote stacked against you and that, uh, makes it, you know, easier for a guy like my situation with limited time, limited opportunity to, ch- to chase elk. Yep, absolutely. So from those early days, Steve, you know, we kind of highlighted in that some of the differences to consider, but like kind of apply that to your transitioning as you started taking mule deer hunting more seriously. Um, you know, you're doing what that with a bow in September. Like what are those any, maybe stories or just like, you know, lessons that really hit home for you of, you know, I now have years chasing elk with a bow, but here's what I'm really learning or where I'm struggling or what I'm figuring out I need to do different to be um, successful hunting deer. Yeah. The, I mean, the biggest thing for me was fighting my natural, uh, I guess I just want to go now kind of the ADD personality. Right. Um, so that, that it was just like a struggle to, to like get up there and just sit in glass and glass and glass and, you know, just pick a glassing spot or a little hundred yard stretch of a ridge and spend an entire morning in that little section. Um, so that was a big transition for me that I fought. Like I just, I said, I'd see something and I just want to go freaking go after it or the opposite of that. You're not seeing animals, uh, and you just don't trust, um, your, your pre-scouting or your scouting. Um, and you're very tempted to get up and move country and look into the next space and over, you know? Um, but in my experience, patience, uh, patience kills and just sitting there and waiting, um, to find a buck. And then the, the stalking aspect is something, like I said, I had to really, really up my game. Um, and I take it, um, you know, we, we do a stalking episode in, in this series with South Cox and he's actually, much much more aggressive than i am Uh, obviously he's got a lot more experience so take uh, what i'm saying for what it's worth but uh, i take it exceptionally serious when i start a stock i'm probably taking my packs uh my pack and shoes off um 
twice as uh, like, twice as far as you think you need to, you know, um, and you because you just can't get away with one drop of noise. Um, the second you break a stick, kick a rock, um, it's just you know kind of early on, I guess, in those experiences. You'd get a buck bedded, you'd go do a stock, you'd get there and the buck would be gone. And you're like, what the frick happened? You know, like they didn't wind me. I know the wind's going up, you know, and, and I kind of just chalked it up to, uh, they were just hearing me coming, you know, like when I was 400 yards away, not really paying that much attention, you know, just trying to get in close. Uh, I was probably making enough noise that they got nervous and got out of there. So that's something that I had to kind of work on is, is really, really just, being hyper aggressive in the um being quiet noise in the department you know mm-hmm. um and then uh yeah I, I get, everything to me on that mule deer just boils down to patience and i, I keep going back to it's just not my natural take so even you do everything right you glass a buck you you watch him for five hours you, he's finally in a, a good bedding spot you go around you get you know, you loop around the basin, you get above him, you stock down in there, uh, you're sitting above him at 40 yards and he's bedded and you can just see antlers. The, the, now the next part is you just sit there for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> so it's, it's why we built the, our Slurpee stalker accessory. Cause you know, at the time we were developing, Lenny and I were developing Exo. We were doing a lot, a lot of this early, uh, early season mule deer stuff. And, you know, it's typically uh, September in Idaho. Can you know, you could have a 75, 80 degree afternoon. You're, you know, more often than not, probably not in the shade, just baking on the side of a mountain at 8,000 feet, and um, you just got to sit there and wait. And it's like, you know, there's plenty of times I've like could have squeezed a shot in, you know, like a marginal. The bucks bedded down there, and like you could just see like the upper half of the vitals and. Um, you know, you, you really got to fight that urge to just wait, to not throw a rock, right? Like mm-hmm. trust that the winds are going to hold, uh, sit there and sit there and sit there. And then eventually they're going to get up and feed and, uh, and then you're going to get your shot opportunity when they're like, they're on low alert. They're just up feeding, moving around. Um, I mean, it's a great time to get that shot off. So, um, yeah, all these things are, I said, I guess what I liked was the challenge of mule deer hunting. Cause all of them fought my natural instincts of, of just being aggressive and moving and, and covering country and stuff like that. So, yeah. So is there anything aside from patience that you feel you've taken away from mule deer hunting that's helped you just be a better hunter overall? You could apply that to elk. You could apply it to just general skills, but like takeaways of, I mean, if I, if I, don't, if I didn't have this experience hunting mule deer, I wouldn't be as proficient in blank or I wouldn't have, you know, a certain type of mindset when it comes to other hunts. Like what, what is a crossover skill, if you want to call it that? Um, or again, it could be kind of a mindset thing that just has changed the way you see hunting as a whole because of your mule deer experience. Um, yeah, that's a good one. I mean, like I said, it's a, it is just all patience and and kind of I said confidence. you can't say patience man. i know no, man, I'm joking. Like, <laughs> i knew that's I, knew, and I know that's the answer but i was just curious if something yeah, else came to mind the answer man um for me anyways you know it's just yeah. uh but that yeah that carries over into into everything I, I definitely learned that i think early on um if i saw an animal for whatever reason i assumed it was only going to be there for 10 seconds and i needed to shoot immediately 
Animals mm. generally, unless it's an elk moving from bedding to feeding grounds, they don't move a lot, right? Like that buck is going to stay on that side of the hill uh, and just mill around and be in that little hundred yard area for quite a quite a long time, hours and hours and hours. So I learned that you have a lot more time than you think when you're chasing, you know, running bulls and they're bugling and they move to their bedding area. Um, you don't have to just rush in there immediately. Like a lot of times sitting back, letting things kind of settle down and then sneaking into that bedding area mid afternoon. Uh, once they're all, the cows are all bedded, you can get in there and get a bull killed. Um, so just kind of learning that, um, animal, non-pressured animals just like to chill and hang out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you don't have to rush the situation. Uh, you have, you can be patient, uh, and, and, and kind of be more methodical about how you're going to approach it. So, yeah, no, that's really good, man. It, it, everything with mule deer is more refined. I mean, I, like I said, with elk, you don't have to have a lot of experience. You just have to have basic knowledge of wind and thermals, be willing to work hard, get yourself in some good elk country, you know, where it's a high, high dense, density of elk. And, um, you know, eventually I think after a week long hunt, you're going to have opportunities you can absolutely that's not going to happen with mule deer you can be in great high country mule deer country and if you just start hiking inside hill and hope you're just going to like come around a, a corner see a buck feeding and shoot him real quick it's just flat out it's not happening uh that that would be very very much uh the exception to the rule and you know, there's no way you're going to be consistent like that so uh, you got up the up your game up your ante um and like i said it just takes that that discipline to um, sit and watch and wait and, and wait for the right opportunity. Um, I think another important thing that I learned is, um, and, uh, South talked about this in the stalking episode is to pick country that's huntable. Um, if, if you're hunting with a bow, you really need to focus in zero in on country that you, you can going to create the most opportunity as possible. So that's going to be, um, you know, slopes that, that have great thermals that kick up in the afternoon. Um, you're going to want uh, very broken terrain, preferably, um, lots of like little finger ridges and smaller basins, you know, big boulders, cliffs, things like that, that can help you get around. We've over the years definitely scouted up bucks that, that um, are basically not killable with a bow you're coming out and you've got a four or five day hunt to, to make the most of that opportunity. You need to put yourself in country, uh, that allows you to do that. So, and that carries over into, to everything, right? Like that's, um, lessons I learned mule deer hunting that I took into my mountain goat hunt is, was able to glass mountain goats that, you know, some big old billies, but they just lived in places that, you know, to the extreme that you're absolutely not going to get to. So I had to focus in on, you know, in my e-scouting, um, looking around on Google earth, like, okay, this, looks like it could hold billies and it looks like it's bow huntable country um, where I can get in there. I can navigate around. I've got multiple approach angles uh, to make a stock happen. And then like I said, that translates into elk as well, right? There's um, certain elk country that just lays itself out really well to bow hunting. Um, lots of little finger ridges and draws and benches um, versus more like open sagebrush hillsides. You're kind of SOL, right? You're not gonna be able to do much with that. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tough to to talk about mule deer country because there's 
there's like that kind of what everybody probably pictures is, you know, these big basins and all that, but there are other opportunities and other uh, types of terrain. And I'm even thinking of like, maybe highlight the differences as an example, Steve, of, you know, you hunted mule deer for years in Idaho. And then you mentioned going to Wyoming, for example, I know that that was a a fairly different experience based off of um, just even deer numbers, but also like maybe talk about, you know, the different types of terrain and habitat. And was there something specific you learned in Wyoming that was different than Idaho that you could apply to Idaho? Um, Just what was that like for you hunting those two states and kind of contrasting (laughs) the opportunities? Yeah. Yeah. To me, like Wyoming was the, your pinnacle high country deer. I mean, above tree line brand like just big old cliffs everywhere uh just super stockable huntable country and then you top that off with just you know five to ten times as many bucks in a basin as i'd see here in idaho so i almost translated into um like uh the guys that have to hunt rosies on the coast you know like i think just through natural um through the surroundings, the density of elk and stuff like that, that you've got to become a better elk hunter to consistently kill elk just kind of forces you to do it. Where here in Idaho, we've in some units, we've got so many stinking elk that, uh, again, you can just kind of with a little bit of hard work and some luck, you know, kill something consistently. Um, Wyoming would be that kind of, <laughs> that scenario. Like you, there's so many deer that, um, you know, you got a good chance of, of getting in there and just kind of lucking into a buck where it just doesn't happen here in Idaho. So, um, but yeah, the different country, I mean, again, I focus on huntable country. Um, we have, uh, one of the episodes in the series, we have, uh, Dionion is a good friend of mine here and, uh, very kills big bucks very consistently year in, year out. Um, he actually kind of focuses on not the, not the high country stuff, the more broken terrain, um, you know, timbered stuff where some older bucks can, can kind of, you know, get be smart and live a long time. The problem that I see with that is with limited time and resources, um, you're just not, it's almost impossible to like go in there quickly and in the morning and in, uh, evening glass every buck in that country or see 80% of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he talks about covering one mile of Ridge per three days. And that's kind of what it would take in that, in that type of country where you can only see, you know, 10% of the country, 20% of the country at any given time. But the huge advantage you have of getting into these, um, open high country basins is, you know, like I said, in a, in a morning and an evening sit, you're probably going to see eight out of the 10 bucks that live in there. Um, so it's a way to, to get in there and and identify what's there quickly. Um, and then know whether or not that's, if you're scouting, know if that's an area you want to come back to and hunt or not, or check it off the list as a place not to go. So, Mm -hmm. um, But yeah, in general, you've got, you know, more timbered stuff and then you just kind of transition in that those open high country basins. And that kind of, uh, you know, one of the things I probably really enjoy the most about um, high country mule deer is just backpacking in there, sleeping up on a, you know, 9000 foot peak, uh, waking up to the sunrise, got your coffee right next to you, just glass in some beautiful high country basin, you know, it kind of puts you in country that's just gorgeous to be in where um, obviously you can be in that elk hunting, but typically you're going to be a couple thousand feet down the mountain, more in the timber. Um, it's not as open and, and as pretty. So that uh, that backpacker in me just definitely loves that aspect of it. 
You know, you mentioned so much in there on a lot of the first few episodes that are being coming out on this series. So, you know, we're going to have a dedicated series on scouting for mule deer and finding that country where, you know, have that series or that episode you mentioned with Dione on really locating mule deer and breaking that down, how you're glassing. We hit on stalking with South Cox. So that's another deep dive episode. One of the ones that we're going to tackle in this series as well is just shooting. Um, and we're going to mostly focus that on the archery side, although we will hit some firearm related stuff as well. But, you know, as we kind of hit up front for mule deer, and especially if you're making this transition from elk, you're likely dealing with extended distances, uh, more challenging terrain, meaning more angles, um, higher probability of wind being a factor as well, because typically more open country. Um, and then dealing at the same time, you have all those challenges and as you mentioned, a smaller target. Um, so you definitely need to elevate the shooting game. What are, what are some of the things you found over the years? Have you changed bow setups? You know, it's not uncommon to see guys have like kind of a mule deer arrow versus an elk arrow. I think you take more of a do it all approach. Um, it's not uncommon to see guys, maybe running back bar setups for extra stability. Uh, There's all different ways you can slice that. But for you personally, like what are some of those factors that you've really looked at from the archery perspective? Yeah. If, if I was just a mule deer hunter, um, you know, I guess I, I probably build my bow for mule deer hunting and just make sure that the arrow's heavy enough that it works for elk. Right. Mm -hmm. If I was just hunting elk, I'd, you could probably shoot a heavier arrow, you know, whether or not it's a, a skinny shaft wouldn't be as important to me. I mean, it obviously it's still going to help with penetration, but, but wind drift isn't much of an issue. So I, if I really to break it down, I probably build it for mule deer hunting. Um, and then just make sure it's heavy enough that, you know, basically good at that good arrows going to work for elk as well. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's very important to, um, you know, I want to reduce um, wind drift as much as possible. So to me, it's about finding the smallest, lowest profile vein that I can, but still not sacrificing any stability. Uh, and that's just going to depend on, I've just had different bows over the years that that some just shot a little bit better than others, right? Um, and tuned easier. And so some that are just kind of a little finicky, you just need a, a bigger vein on there to stabilize, maybe more of a helical that you uh, put into the vein when you, you glue it to the arrow shaft uh, and other ones that I was able to get away with like four little tiny uh, mini veins, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So I want to reduce that as much as possible. I do like to have, um, uh, and this crosses over, but I do like to put a little, uh, I put a white wrap on the back of the arrow, right? Um, that, that I glue the fletching to, but that white wrap just for visibility, um, you know, you've, you're shooting 50, 60 yards, uh, and you, you just need to kind of have a really good idea of where that arrow impacted to kind of tell you what you need to do after the shot, right? If, if, if you just catch a little glimpse of white, uh, and white just seems to be a color that shows up the best for me. Um, if you catch that glimpse right as the impact happens, you know, it's going to give you an idea of, Ooh, that was a little far back. You know, I need to wait this out four hours or man, I smoked them, give it 30 minutes and, and go down there and start looking for blood. So, um, you absolutely, uh, you know, obviously we had South Cox on who's doing this with a traditional bow, but I'm as a compound guy to maximize your opportunity. 
I think you you need to be very proficient out to 60 yards. Um, you know, I'd say shooting consistently, shooting five, six inch groups at 60 yards. Um, to you, it's just gets really, really tough. It seems like you can get to within a hundred pretty easily with bucks. Um, you know, like you can get away with maybe making a tiny, like making one little tiny mistake, right. Where a a little one inch rock rolls like two feet. Um, but you can't break a branch at a hundred. That's for sure. But just as you're getting closer and closer, uh, like once you're inside 50 yards, I mean, if you breathe wrong, right, like that buck's going to hear you and be on alert. Um, so it, I like to, ideally you don't want to get too close, um, as much as that sounds, but if you're going to sneak in there and only be 25 yards away from a buck for two hours, man, like you're just not giving yourself much margin for error. If, uh, if a sneeze or a cough comes or anything, you know, um, and then, you know, we talked about, Obviously, this is going to be on steeper country. You know, you're up in these high country basins. So shooting at angles becomes critical, making sure that your third axis is really dialed in and refined um, and set up so that when you are shooting at those steep angles that that you're not missing right or left. And that has nothing to do with you, right? It's just that that your sight is not leveled up to the bow. Um, So making sure that you're dialing in your third axis. Uh, I think there's a lot of mule deer hunters. I personally don't do this, but run a single pin slider sight just for absolute precision. You know, I kind of talk about that single pin down at the archer range is going to be consistently more accurate than a, a fixed pin multi multi pin sight. Um, but you know, I, to me, the trade off for elk hunting when when an elk could be at 20 yards and then 40 yards in the blink of an eye, I don't want to have to have a sight that I got to mess with dialing. But uh, you know, a single pin slider, if you were just solely focused on killing a buck, I think is a pretty good pretty good um choice because you like i said you're going to have the buck bedded down below you you're going to range that a hundred times you're going to know that he's 53 yards um obviously if when they get up to feed and they move 10 yards you you might be in a frantic situation of having to you know rearrange redial and then come to draw so that's kind of a up for debate but i I do see that um the the just how simple a single pin is that precision there uh could be advantageous if you're you know just going strictly after mule deer so uh, and then, yeah, just bow balance, uh, making sure that, um, you, you know, some, a lot of guys are running back bars. I just, uh, you know, I just run a generic setup for everything with like a 10 inch stabilizer and five, six ounces of weight out there. And, um, basically like I said, I said, if I really break it down, I'm building my bow for, um, for the utmost, utmost precision out to 60, 70 yards while still keeping it in a you know, quote unquote huntable package uh, you know, you could run a longer stabilizer, you could run back bars, but all those things you get into brushy elk country, start kind of getting to be a pain in the button, yeah. do more harm than good. So, um, cool. Yeah. Part of, uh, you know, as we mentioned, scouting, locating, stalking, shooting, a lot of that's mostly in this earlier season, high country context. Uh, as you mentioned, we talk with Dione a bit more about later season opportunities and a bit different country, but then, you know, to wrap this series up or, you know, towards the end of it here, we're going to have a a deep dive with Robbie Denning, who is a phenomenal mule deer hunter and necessarily isn't the early season archery guy. So there's a lot of other opportunities um, in October into November, getting into rut hunts, getting into 
muzzleloader rifle seasons. So there's, we're definitely not saying that, you know, early season in archery is the only way to get it done. And we do want to get into those other opportunities and really moving beyond spot and stock, if you will, because, uh, you can get into travel corridors and ambush situations and still hunting. And there's definitely multiple ways to do it for you, Steve. I know that that's primarily been, you know, mostly, uh, like October general seasons there in Idaho. Um, but maybe what are your thoughts on, you know, those opportunities beyond early season spot and stock stuff? Yeah, I think it's a fun thing with mule deer is, um, you do get to hunt them in such a wide, like, you know, elk it's like you got the rut and then i guess you got october if you're a rifle guy i've I've, i don't know if to date if i've ever done a elk october hunt with a rifle i don't think i have it's about to change man or something yeah yeah this year hopefully um but obviously you've got this huge transition of this this early living up in the high country their bodies are orange they're easy to spot they're covered you know their antlers are covered in velvet and then Right around September 10th, they start rubbing that off. They start dropping down a little bit in elevation. They get in the timber. They kind of transition into, you know, the whole gray ghost thing, right, of um, their, their bodies turn gray. They become very, very uh, reclusive. You know, those big old bucks, man, they get smart. Um, they don't show themselves in daylight much. You got to – you really got to, like, understand – mule deer behavior what they're doing what they're wanting to do where they're wanting to travel i think that's where um from what i've perceived where robbie denning excels is just really understanding their behavior and using that information to to hunt them in october november so um and then i know we anyone who lives in the boise area knows we've got our late 39 archery uh over the counter archery tag where uh they're rutting the bucks you know they're all migrating down out of the mountains and it's just like complete chaos. It's a, it's a, almost an impossible hunt because you're seeing hundreds of deer a day, uh, usually on top of three, four inches of just frozen, crusty snow. And uh, it's, it's a very, very, very tough hunt. Lots of, you got to put a lot of deer in the glass. Uh, actually getting close inside of 50 yards of a buck is uh, something else entirely on that hunt. But you got all these transitions of, you know, this kind of early season laid back, bed them, stock them to, hunting them in timber to late season ruts. It's, it's a fun, very fun animal to, to get to know and hunt. That's cool. Well, hopefully, uh, listeners for you, this is a good kind of introduction. Um, maybe if you're new to mule deer hunting or just kind of give you some insight into this upcoming series, again, we're going to have in-depth episodes specifically on scouting for mule deer on locating mule deer, uh, which I've just said, there's some crossover there. We're going to take a deep dive on stalking, uh, on shooting and then also talk about um, some other opportunities you know beyond spot and stock and beyond this early season high country style of hunting so there's a lot to come in depth all with the guests um, that are really going to bring a lot of knowledge to the show um, we'd love to have your questions uh, you know we can do a Q&A episode um, at the conclusion of this series as well maybe get some of those guests also weigh in on that so there's a lot coming on mule deer, and uh, I know that while these episodes are mule deer specific, we still have a ton of you guys who are out there looking to elk hunt uh, in September and beyond this year, so there's plenty more to come there as well. But as always, guys, thank you for tuning in. If you want to reach out, share a question or anything like that with us, just shoot us an email to podcast at exomontgear.com. Otherwise, we'll be back with future Monday Minute episodes as well as kicking off this mule deer series. We'll talk to you soon.